0: King Foxbeard, Fox, Beardlock is acting very weird Captain Pike, Driscoll's wife, Klingons and the afterlife Boimler, Tandy's dog, Ransom is very harsh Ford Drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk Left. Edward is an idiot. Fox is dead, Wolf is wet, Check, I'm wearing red. this cat, Kempax, that Q is had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so. Everybody, let's go. We talk about, about the series. You can join us live by picking up your phone now. We talk about the series. We're coming to you on the streaming services now. We talk about the series.
1: Well good evening trekkies and trekkers around the globe. This is our special Monday night show and I apologize we actually had this plan this show planned uh, for two weeks ago. But unfortunately, Block Talk Radio was having all kinds of technical difficulties, and we had to postpone that show to tonight. So I apologize for that. But we are here, and we do have Josh with us, and we are definitely going to be talking about Star Trek Alliance Box 1, 2, and 3, all of them. And we also are going to be diving into Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433, so you can let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking right now, if you have any questions or comments for Josh, and we'll get you right on the air. Before we go too far, though, I'd like to go around and introduce all of my awesome Trek Spurs. Of course, I'm Uncle Jim. I'm here all of the time, but with me, as usual, we have Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm um, doing good. Enjoying the conditioning after a long day at work. Yeah, you'll have that, especially on Mondays. Magnificent Monday, though. You've got to be positive. And we also have with us from Portland, our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric?
0: I am doing fantastic. I uh I stopped by the game shop on my way home and picked up a couple of new goodies and some uh I've already got plans tonight, man. I'm gonna be reading rule books all night after this. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: um, do we have David with
0: us? Uh David. Yep, 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 yep.
1: Yeah, we thought I thought I thought you were riding your tribble. I wasn't sure if you were gonna make it. And we also have David. David's from Portland as well. How you doing tonight, David?
0: Uh, pretty tired. I'm uh, sweating, trying to cook over hot, you know, trying that uh, Neelix what, uh, what uh, chili or whatever they
2: call it.
1: <laughs> but more importantly, though, did you bring the donuts? That's the big question. Red Alert donuts. There you go. <laughs> there you go. He's got the donuts. Okay, well, then we can have a podcast if David got the donuts. That's excellent. And um, Alien Con this year. That's right, AlienCon, and uh, you can get yourself a pair of tickets to AlienCon by just going to trektalking.com and clicking on the little blue talkback mic and leaving us a message. If you do that, and I like your message, I will send you a pair of tickets to AlienCon. And you're sitting there saying, Uncle Jim, what's AlienCon? Funny you should ask, because I have a little promo that Eric put together for us.
0: Interested in aliens? Alien Cons, an exploration to the unexplained mystery that exists between science fact and science fiction. Experience the long-running hit program, Ancient Aliens, live on tour. This interactive event explores thought-provoking extraterrestrial theories on fan-favorite topics from ancient Egypt to the moon. Ancient Aliens Live! lands at Portland's Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall on Friday, September 15th. Tickets on sale now at AncientAliensLiveTour.com.
1: Now, Eric
0: and uh, Paul
1: and David are all going to be at AlienCon. You can look for those awesome Correct Talking t-shirts. Go up and say hello. Pick up a business card and, uh, and just visit. I'm sure they would love to see you, all right, guys?
0: Absolutely. It's going to be fun. And All I'll right, just say so that next- if you if you haven't been to Portland's Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall, you are in for a treat. It is where the uh, Oregon Symphony plays. It is a beautiful, beautiful space, and uh, I think it's kind of cool that they're doing the Alien Con thing in such a such a cool space. It's kind of like you're not going to be in some convention center tucked away. No, this is a this is a classy joint. So come join us.
1: And I thought it I thought it was great when they said Portland. I thought right away when when he asked me if we wanted to be interested in helping to promote that. And I was like, Portland, hell yes, because I know, I know that three-fifths of our truck-talking team is right in Portland. So how how perfect could it be? Worked Love out it. with it. It sure did. Love worked out really good. So with all of the housekeeping out of the way and everything done that we had to talk about, let's dive into the meat and potatoes of the show. What do you say, guys? Let's do it. Sound good? All right, let's dive right in. So we have with us the game designer himself, the man that created this world that we like to play in, based on Star Trek: Attack Wing, of course Star Trek: Alliance, the Dominion War, Box One, which is the Federation, Box Two, which is the Klingons, and the most recent one, Box Three, which is the Romulans. And um, I got to tell you, I've only played Mission One in the Federation box solo uh, so far, so I haven't I haven't played all the other ones but I was waiting for them to all come out because I want to go back and I want to start at the beginning as a Klingon. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a Klingon. So I want to start at the beginning as a Klingon uh, and go through the whole comp- the whole uh, box, all three of them as a Klingon. So, Josh, am, am I allowed to do that, or do I have to play each box as the particular, like, box one is a Fed, box two is a Klingon, and box three is a Romulan? Can I mix those all up?
2: Uh, The rulebook, rules as written, expects you to play canonically where the Klingons aren't in the Dominion War yet in the first chunk. Uh, But there's nothing, the scaling table that comes in the box two instructions, while it doesn't tell you that you can play the box one with the ships included, you basically can. Like, I think it gives some alternative recommendations for weaker Klingon ships to start. So that the right. scenarios are still very challenging, and I suspect they would be very, very challenging. But this is not something we play tested a lot. Uh, you can certainly use all of the Klingon upgrade cards right from the get go if you had wanted to.
1: I'm, I'm definitely going to do it as a Klingon. I mean, I, I got it. You know, the battle, the glory, bring honor to my household, and I have to do yeah. it as a Klingon. <laughs> You're gonna. It's, the
2: fun thing is, there's a couple of missions in that first box which are incredibly scam token and therefore like science-themed heavy, which the Klingons are going to have a real fun time with because their ships can't inherently do those missions, so they have to bring specialized crew to let them actually undertake those, those scenarios. And if you're playing solo, you just have the one ship to do it, presumably, or I guess you could bring two. I think the solo right. rules for that are probably better for two ships. You control them both, but you're going to need a dedicated science vessel, even if you are a Klingon. Well,
1: what I'm, I'm planning, I'm planning on on testing, on playing all three scenarios with with three with Klingon feds and Romulans at I gaming guess. conventions, so that I can get six players on the table at one time and run, you know, run it six at a time. That's what I'm planning on doing. Anyways, I'm going to test them that mm-hmm. way. Some of the scenarios are the very challenging with six. I'll I'll pick something easy so that people aren't scared away. (laughs) There you go. You know, I'll pick one of the one of the easier ones just to get them on the table and get them playing. You know, I think I think people will have fun. We are they loved playing and tackling when we used to do the board battle at conventions. So I think I think this will work out. You know, with six players, I think people will like it. I know I I liked it. I've liked it a lot. What I've seen so far. So, Eric, have you played further than Mission 1 of Box
0: 1? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so our local play group in Portland here, we've been running Star Trek Alliance for the last few months. And, you know, we play for about three to four hours whenever we get together, so we can usually fit in between two and three missions, depending on which one. And we've played all the way – that's four people. We've played all the way through Box 1, and we have played um, three, there's five missions of Box 2, right? We've played six,
2: I think, or seven? Six.
0: Maybe it's seven. It's an odd number. So we must have played through five of the seven. Yeah, I, I, there's, yeah David uh, can back me up on that one. So yeah, so we've played a significant portion of them. And I will tell you that we have had a blast. Now, overall, we've, we've been pretty successful. Like we, you know, but we're all Attack Wing players who have been playing for a number of years, and so we're, you know, we're savvy about the choices that we make, and we we work well together. I do think one of the very coolest things, and I'm preaching to the choir here um, because we've we've had Josh on the on the podcast here before to talk about Box One, but just the opportunity to play a great miniatures game like Star Trek Attack Wing that, of course, uses that that fantasy flight system you use maneuver templates um to to move your ship around and then you get to take actions and you get to mix things together where you have crew that do things and you have tech that do things this game allows you to do that in a cooperative um context and the thing i really like about it is that it's almost like a role-playing game because you start out with a a weak ship (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with not much on it, right?
2: Very yeah, weak like, ship, depending on the faction, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you can even you. – it's got challenge levels. So let's say you are really you know, – we've been just playing through on kind of the easiest level with the default ships. And we had one guy who really wanted a sovereign, so he dumped all his stuff into uh, captain skill. And we had somebody else that wanted to do something else. It gives you the ability to kind of like build your character, which is your ship as you go, right, and make it into the thing that you want to make it into. And um, So I was just going to say, uh, for anybody who hasn't heard you talk about this before, Josh, or, or, you know, might not really be that familiar with the game, Star Trek Attack Wing started long ago. Presumably you brought this idea of, along with, I believe, one or more of your colleagues to WizKids, this idea of a cooperative version. Is, is that the sort of genesis of Alliance?
2: Yeah, so in 2014, my local playgroup was super, super into X-Wing. A friend of mine was running an X-Wing fan site and decided that he wanted to publish a campaign, and he shared the draft with me. And I was like, I read it, and I'm like, this frustrates me because, like, it's so open-ended. You didn't really give people, like, a really strong framework for how they should play this cooperative game. Oh, and you need someone to, like, play as all the bad guys. It was used like, oh, you're going to be rebels, but one player has to be the Empire just to make it work. And I was like, ah, that's really annoying. It's like a really horrible experience for that one player who probably owns the huge collection, who's like, he's going to be the Imperial player forever. Let's, let's let him make some. Let's let him actually play. So I made this whole ca- this whole campaign for X-wing, and published it in 2015 called Heroes of the Aturi Cluster. And that you can still find it on the internet. It's available as a free PDF, and it's got its own little rule book that comes with 15 scenarios so this had already existed for a couple of years uh oh, about a year year and a half i think by the time i oh maybe about a year because in 2016 um i started working for linvander studios which at that time had not done very many games we pitched three other designs to WizKids at origins in summer 2016 and big shout out to Zev Slashinger, who at the time was director of board games for WizKids. He is actually no longer with them; he just recently switched. Um, but he, he he took a couple of our other prototypes, and we were talking about the stuff. We we weren't even there to pitch him Star Trek anything. Uh, my business partner Tommy Goffin in Linda Studios is a huge Star Trek attacking fan, always has been. And in the course of this meeting with them pitching these other game ideas he was like would you be interested in like a cooperative version of of attack wing and they were like what cooperative what that that can't be done that that's not a thing and tommy just goes well i mean it can be done because it has been done here's the thing josh made it wouldn't take much to make an attack wing version and they were just kind of like just stunned for a moment like didn't quite compute uh and then we we kind of went from there like we Scheduled a, a demo of the entire system. Didn't take much to skin what I had done for X-wing into Attack Wing because they're basically the same game, just with their own units and cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made a working prototype of the Star Trek version and played it for them at Gen Con a couple months later that year. And they were like, "Oh yeah, this clearly works." Um, and and wait wait, Fantasy Flight, who makes X-wing, they they didn't want this. And I had shown it to them and they were not interested they don't typically solicit from outside designers. So I had showed it to the person who was the lead developer for x wing at the time, and he just didn't know what to do with it. Uh, But Wiskids was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's, how can we make this into a sellable product? What does that look like? And at the time, Star Trek attack wing had been in retail for a while. You could still get individual ships, but you couldn't get starter sets. Mm -hmm. So the decision was made that it should be a standalone starter set so that if you wanted to buy into Attack Wing as a system, this would have all the necessary components and or if you didn't have Star Trek Attack Wing at all, you could play this brand new game that would be a self-contained box because it would have all the dice, the rulers, all of that stuff. So that was how it came about to become a starter set. And Attack Wing hadn't been selling super well for them at that point. They were pretty upfront about their sales numbers and you know, kind of. I think a lot of it was they saw it as kind of a not a dead game, but a dying game. Mm-hmm. So they only agreed to to greenlight the the first box, the Federation one. Uh, even though I had sort of laid out the entire like, here's the trilogy, here's you know where we can take this. Mm-hmm. So they greenlit the first box, and then it took us. I think it took me. I worked on on and off for about a year. We were doing a number of other things in parallel, of course, um, but the bulk of the work on the game took only a handful of months, spread out over, I don't know, a year and a half. I think we delivered everything print ready to WizKids in 2018, something like that, late 2017, mm-hmm. and then it took them until 20, I believe it was 2020. Actually, it was during the pandemic, the very very beginning of the pandemic, that it actually finally landed. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a number of manufacturing issues with WizKids changing factories and a couple of other licensor hiccups. I think you guys probably are well aware of the weirdness that is CBS and Paramount arguing over yeah. who whose lane it is for <laughs> Trek licensing and whatever. So that was all of that kind of led into, you know, what should have been a year turnaround became like a four year turnaround on the project. Um, but it finally came out and you guys have played it. And that was kind of the genesis of that. And it didn't take too long after it came out. Cooperative games, of course, did really well during the pandemic because anything you could play solo or with the people you were, uh, you know, in your, your COVID bubble was selling really well. And they even actually told us like, hey, all of our attack wing sales are up because now there's a starter set people can buy again and yeah. do that. So there uh-huh. sparked this whole new wave of interest and they immediately said, well... Um, We sold our first print run entirely we're gonna reprint it and uh more please can can we can we do the rest of that trilogy you pitched us like checks watch oh uh you know six years ago now or five years ago um so that that got greenlit and then it took us not too long to bang out the other two and they were largely designed at the same time a lot of the a lot of the upgrade cards and stuff hadn't been conceived yet, but the overall structure of like, here's all the scenarios you do to take the rest of the timeline from Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sort of build that out into a satisfying, like overarching story. Mm -hmm. Um, And spoilers, if you haven't seen the end of the third box, but it's, it ends with the concluding episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the end of the Dominion War. So you play through that whole story arc and it's, it's nice to be able to build a campaign around an existing narrative that has such a good arc. Uh-huh. I don't yeah, always have and that, that, that and, luxury. it has
0: that natural, like, three, three tripartite, like, build to it with the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans all entering the war at different times, too.
2: Yeah, it really worked out super, super well to make each one its own project because it's like, oh, well, you don't see some of the bigger Dominion ships either until later in the war, and you don't see the Breen until right at the very end. So the yep. boxes, like, in terms of what was going to be in them, they almost designed themselves once we had the kind of paradigm figured out
0: yeah so uh for anybody who hasn't uh been able to see the boxes so in part one uh what you get is you get an akira class ship and you get an excelsior class ship and then you get three bugs three gemhadar bugs and the bugs you call it the AI system, but essentially it's a system by which you roll a dice and depending on range and whether somebody's heading away or toward you, the AI, in other words, this card, this reference card that you reference, makes different choices for the ships. And I'll tell you, I think the AI is freaking intelligent. Like it, every once in a while <laughs> it'll guess wrong, but like most of the time it's pretty on, spot on.
2: It's a pretty cunning opponent. There's, there's the, I tell people, like, the, the secret sauce is actually just that you could have an automated opponent for attack wing do, the, like, the expected move every time. Like, there is usually an optimal move that will get you in arc or in range or will will let you maneuver, like, efficiently. And the AI will do that move some percentage of the time. But it's set up in such a way that, like, you're kind of always gambling with the dice about, like, oh, I'm going to try and counterplay it by doing this. Well, if you do, there's a one-in-six chance it does some weird maneuver and is still on you.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's Which really I the I totally dig that. I think it be, Because we always, like, as a cooperative game with your friends, like, we'll joke about things like, oh, you know, that... <laughs> He didn't get his catcher cell white or, you know. Yep. <laughs> we yeah, absolutely. Have, have fun with the story. Pon- and then so in box two, um, you you sort of enter uh, a whole different realm because you bring in the Klingons and you get more bugs. And I can't remember, do they bring in a cruiser? You bring in a cruiser in box two, right? So
2: box two, the box two and three were interesting because originally when we, we pitched them, they were also going to be standalone games. Oh. but we made the decision that it was actually better if they were uh, expansion only because it could be yeah. a little bit cheaper. And then we actually had more components to make extra cards and had more cardboard to make more tokens and stuff, which let us do more with the scenario design for the same price point. Uh-huh. So the second game, we, we assumed that you either had box one and you had the three gem Head oh. attack fighters yeah. Um, and if you didn't, if you still wanted to buy into this one because you had dice or rulers or whatever else, um, we assumed that you would have an existing attack wing collection with dice and stuff. And as long as you had one of those two things, either part one or some existing attack wing, you could get straight into box two. And if for whatever reason you didn't have three gem header attack fighters, we gave you cardboard stand-ins for them. So you could yes. still play all the scenarios, but they were designed assuming you had sort of bought into the whole train so far and were carrying forward your progress. But the second box comes with two Klingon ships: it's a Vorcha attack cruiser and a Kavort, the bird yep. of prey, the, the yep. oversized bird of prey in cannon. That's a whole weirdness that I just had to accept. I don't yeah. believe in the cavort. Yeah, they I think look it's exactly the
0: same. <laughs> well, we, we've we talked about that on the podcast before. I mean, it is the same ship, but, you know, it had to be explained somehow. <laughs>
2: well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the goofiness of stuff. somebody reused the model in TNG, yeah. right? And the framing yeah. of it makes it look enormous compared to the yeah. Warbird. So, of course, oh, we have some weird big, some upscaled going on Bird of Prey. Um, <laughs> I think it's a bit silly, but it's canon, so we'll we'll go with it.
0: It's one of my favorite ships in Attack Wing. I love K'Vorage, man. It it is absolutely
2: great to play in the game, for sure. Yeah. And then, because we were adding the... uh, You know, the Klingons are really only into the Dominion War because of their existing feud with the Cardassians, who, of course, teamed up with the Dominion. So, we put in two Cardassian Galar-class cruisers, and then the Dominion gets a... I guess it's the Battle Cruiser, which is the the medium-sized Dominion ship. Bigger than their standard attack fighter, but... Um, that thing is, is rude. Battleship.
0: It's so nasty because it has great uh, white maneuvers. It has white turns all over the place. So it just does these turns like all day long and keeps you in its sights. It's nasty.
2: They're very very powerful forward weapons too, which in the cooperative game means that someone is going to be stuck jousting with it head to head and is going <laughs> to get completely trashed.
0: I can't remember, David in box two. Were you the one who got roasted? I know. I knew maybe. I think we lost two players when we <laughs> started out with box two. It was pretty. Yeah. It was pretty it, bad. It was, yeah, it was pretty bad.
2: I I remember. I actually think that um, even box one, I died quite a bit. So.
0: Well and the thing <laughs> about the Cardassians, those Galler classes, they've got that 180 front arc, and I found is it not until box three that do you get elite elite Gallers in that second box? I remember. Oh, the you sure Galar, do. Three, There's like, a few. Yeah, There's a few. yeah. So they, so in the game, you've got kind of your standard ships, and then you've got your elite bad guy ships that come in. And the elite talents usually have some kind of nastiness to them. Some of them are like, oh, this ship's shots go through your shields, or this shot, yep. this ship gets uh, plus dice when it when a thing happens, or you know, it it really mixes up the the kind of like excitement and and peril of the game. <laughs> Well, yeah,
2: I mean, even, even the same mission, you play it a couple of times. If you get different elite enemies, and depending on which special ability you draw from the deck for them and where they show up, um, can have a big impact on how difficult the mission is or how many losses you're going to take. Oh. The one that threw us through fits um, when we played the production copy of the game, because I played, I played it lots at this point, but uh, we recorded an entire playthrough of all three boxes two-player. For our twitch channel six sides of gaming mm-hmm. and so tommy and i played through the entire campaign all i guess it's 20 missions yeah mm-hmm. six seven and seven 20 missions with the same ship he ran an akira all the way through and i ran whatever the flavor of the box was so i played a, an excelsior and then a vorcha and then a, a daderdex romulan bird of prey but um the the thing we found is like there was one mission where one of those elite galar classes uh, if you fired at it, I think it's range one to two, you get an auxiliary power. And in attack when oh, auxiliary yeah. power messes up all the actions you can take. Yeah. So we were, we were having to deal with this really powerful enemy ship that's like nobody wanted to shoot at because it was going to ruin all of your action options.
0: Mm-hmm. And somehow we
2: had to like kite it in such a way that we could then both get it at the optimal range and not die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, we just played a similar mission. I think from Box 2, there's some mission where there are a bunch of tokens out there, and if you're within range of those tokens, you can't, or if your enemies are within range of those tokens, you can't shoot at each other. And so there's yes, this sort the of dance. Star. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, that one was really interesting because there's this, like, sort of dance that you have to do, turns where you know you're going to be looking right down the barrel of your enemy, and you won't be able to shoot at each other, and so you're kind of planning two turns ahead instead
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a really fun cat and mouse and I think we got a lot of mileage out of it's even though we were able to do a little bit more with the cardboard components in the, the second and third box it's still a very limited pool to come up with you know scenario design and and to do stuff with and I think we really got a lot of mileage out of how much cardboard we were actually able to put in the box
0: yeah, I mean, and the box design is great. I mean, the box is no bigger than it needs to be, and everything fits in there nice and, and tight, uh, you know, and there's just space after you do all your punch-outs to keep base ship bases and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it just works really, really well. Uh, as you were saying, then in that third box, you got the two Dideridexes, and then you get the Jem'Hadar battleship, which is the big, big yeah. nasty one. And then two of the Breen cruisers. And so I haven't really looked through those missions yet, but I would imagine, I know in attack wing, those Breen ships have like their phased Polaron uh, beam. Is there something similar in box three there for the bad guys?
2: Yeah. The Breen, so there was a, a design rule that we, we really stayed to when we developed all of the scenarios and content for these, which was like, Only the elite enemies get special abilities. Um, Standard enemies, anything fancy we want their ships to do, we need to bake onto their main logic card so that you never had to worry about, like, oh, if we've got 10 enemy ships on the table in a six-player game, we also don't have, you know, 10 different sets of multiple special abilities for each one because the bookkeeping would be intense. So we tried to make each ship as, like, flavorful and impactful uh, as we could on its basic card. Which in, it's like, There were a couple of cases where like, things in the standard attack wing game that they were sort of you know, famous for that faction doing, those got like distilled down and condensed onto the main cards. So they didn't have special ability cards. One of those is the Breen Energy Dampener.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So all Breen ships do this. Every time they shoot you, they make you either spend your tokens or you get auxiliary power. Or, yeah, you either discard a token, and if you can't, you have to randomly disable a card on your ship. So they, wow. they shut down your ship in creative ways or make you waste tokens defending against them. Um, yeah. So they can be quite quite mean. They're, they don't really hit harder than the other Dominion ships, but they are really good at um, causing you grief.
0: Basically. Frustrating you. <laughs>
2: yes, 100%.
0: <laughs> well, um, to me, that's a bad guy. That's why Kai Wen's my favorite, because she frustrates the hell out of me, and uh, I think oh, she's the best bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly passed. Like <laughs> yeah. Because <Yeah. laughs> uh, cool. r- well, the real
2: well, villain is bureaucracy, right?
0: Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, I gotta pass this talking stick, or I'm gonna I'm gonna get scolded. So, uh, thank you so much for chatting with me, Josh. And I'm gonna pass the talking stick. Uh, what over to Charles? Maybe we'll pass it down to Las Vegas and then finish up up here. You want to do that? Well, I'm. As with Jim, I've only gotten a chance to see the first mission, the first box, because our
1: groups had problems playing. But I wanna hear about Black Alert. Oh
2: fair. I well we're gonna, we're about gonna get that to team. that.
1: This, we're we're gonna get to that, Charles. Absolutely. But we wanna I wanna finish up uh Alliance first.
0: Well, so if let's David's pass it got over, any
1: questions on Alliance. But, yeah, let's okay. pass it over to David, and then we'll we'll swing back around. Take it away, David.
2: Yeah, um, I just had an interesting question about the Alliance game. Um, you mentioned how it was
0: actually like um, doing well after the first box and everything, and I was just curious: Do you guys have plans for box four, or maybe something along the lines of another uh, famous? battle sequence in Star Trek, Laura?
2: So I can tell you that the third box wraps up the Dominion War plotline entirely. Um, so that is a, designed to be a, a trilogy of, of sets that are a, a self-contained campaign. Uh, I can't speak too much more about what else we might do, although certainly Trek is, you know, there's no shortage of cool settings or, or more ships, and kids just done a lot of them. Um, I know they have some other Star Trek products coming out, but I am not working on that stuff.
0: Ah, okay. I just wanted
1: to know. Thank you very much.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) So,
1: so Josh, I just wanted to say that, uh, first of all, I I opened up Box 3 because, you know, I had to get the new Klingon upgrades in there. Oh, yes. What was really cool about Box 3 is that you put the AI cards in for all of the ships in Box 3.
2: Yeah, well, we had to make sure that you could play any of the scenarios that were written for Box 3 with just Box 3, but that meant that I had to make sure that you had the cards to run those AI ships and the cardboard placeholder tokens if you didn't have the first two boxes. Now, I don't have the sales numbers from WizKids, but I pretty strongly suspect that anyone who bought Box 3 has the first two boxes as well. In which case they can play with all plastic, but yeah. just in case, if that weird yeah. in that weird case for those you know four people out there who really just wanted the Romulans and nothing else, um, you can still play all the scenarios with just what's in that box.
1: Well, it's nice because you have extra copies of those cards, That's so you too. can have one. You know, everyone you know can look at the cards to see what the ships might do. I thought that was that was really cool. So who? Um, are you planning or are they planning on putting out like maybe like a scenario book with the, with a bunch of different new scenarios that you can use the existing three boxes to play
2: with new scenarios? uh If they are, I don't know anything about it. Uh, okay. I can tell you though, I've seen some other community content because people have already taken the the sort of design design paradigm for all of the AI cards and ships and there there are some fan-made uh additional scenarios and such on boardgamegeek and and elsewhere on the internet. I've seen a few on Facebook. So the community is doing some stuff with it. Uh as far as any official scenario release, I don't know anything about that. Fair enough. Uh, but about... I mean it's also a pretty big toolbox. You you know, it's not too hard to throw down some ships in a way that you think makes sense and and cook something oh, up, oh, right? Oh.
0: Well, all, and the playability, but... uh, like the replayability, I think is really high because you can always, you, it, for example, in that first box, it comes with the Excelsior and it comes with the Akira, but there, there are rules in the thing that say, hey, if you own a Nova, you can start this puppy with a Nova and, you know, just go for that three durability, three shields, two attack dice if you think it's too hard, right? <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I there are lots of to ways to make it harder. Yeah, I like the scalability of that um, too. But I've seen as well, like you were saying, Josh, some of that community content. The Star Trek Tackling community is literally, for me, one of the best communities out there on the internet because they have always picked up the ball when they have felt left alone or when they have felt like, and I'm just going to get on my soapbox a little bit, when they have felt like the information wasn't coming out in a timely fashion. Um, The community always held star trek attack wing together and i just really have always appreciated that about them and the fact that they immediately took this concept and permutated it so many times like there are so many different ways to play this game from a fan uh you know from a fan version perspective it's really it's quite stunning i haven't really played much of them myself it's just a time thing if i had all the time in the world i'd be doing it all the time though It, it looks really fun and I
1: I think the fact that that box one was made as a starter set was a brilliant move because at that point in time it was hard to get people into a tag wing because they couldn't get the starter set, and yep. so this got pe- this got people into two games
2: simultaneously, which which was fantastic. So, all right, and we now. really clued in on that with the second and third sets as well because the first set. Uh, one of the most common bits of feedback we got about it was that the three Gem R ships didn't have the standard cards or maneuvering dials to play them as a human player. You could only mm-hmm. play them with this little AI card running them. So yeah. in the subsequent boxes, we made sure that we printed the bare bones card set and maneuver dials so that you could actually play standard attacking with them. You could control them yourself if you wanted.
0: So it was actually it was, kind of a good thing excellent. that you got that. You were able to get that feedback uh, because as you were saying, you didn't get boxes two and three greenlit until box one was a success. And so you had a little bit of time yeah. to kind of go back and say, okay, what were the things that worked? What were the things that we can improve upon? And there was, for the community, an arduous two-year wait for boxes two and three. But once oh, we yeah. got there, we were so excited to have them all.
2: Oh, for sure. And I think some of the some of the design on box two, even the scenario design, was heavily informed by what scenarios people liked out of the first box and which ones, after we'd played them to death, even after publication, uh, which ones we felt were either they had like a specific strategy that seemed to be the way to win them, that they were a little bit too, they weren't quite as replayable as we liked because they were a little bit solvable. And I think we did a lot to address that in boxes two and three with those scenario designs. They benefited from a few additional years of experience, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you use members of the community for play testing or did you like test it with your one buddy all the time? Or like, you know, I assume that many, many people play tested it, right? Uh,
2: I mean, you would think that Um, in, yeah. in reality though, most of it was done during the pandemic and actually most of it placing the most of the testing for, boxes two and three was actually done remotely. I set up a table in my office uh, with a webcam over top of it. And I was having playtesting sessions where I would run all of the ships and people were just looking at the overhead camera and being like, I'm going to do this maneuver.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay. So
2: we, we would, uh, I remember doing a four player playtest of box two. We played the entire campaign in two days so it was like two eight-hour days of like, okay, let's run this mission. Oh, that didn't quite work. We'll tune the where the enemy ships show up and when and how many turns the mission is and a little bit like, oh, this target you have to destroy is this mini hull. So we ran some of those missions a bunch of times. And there were definitely a few that we played like two players running two ships because four people couldn't make it and like all that. Um, but it was a relatively small um, playtest group because I had so much data from – doing 15 scenarios of x-wing stuff years ago and all of the box one testing so like we got it down to almost a math equation then it was just like what were the new variables i put in scenario okay how does that change the the equation i feel like that really shortened the development and playtesting process because we had such a good foundation from all of the the work that attack wing devs had done and then all the work that had been done on other you know co-op campaign stuff that i had worked on before
0: yeah Wow,
1: uh, Josh. Speaking of uh, Star Trek Discovery, I believe that Black Alert is the first Discovery-based game uh, that, that I'm aware of for it is. Star Trek that has that has been released. And and Discovery came out in 2017, and no one's jumped on board except for you. So what can you tell us about about Black Alert? I haven't seen the game yet, uh, so I don't know anything about it other than the name.
2: Yeah, okay. So they WizKids showed off the prototype of Black Alert at Gamma earlier this year. That's uh, the Game Manufacturers Association conference in Reno. That was in March ish. Um they they unveiled the their production sample of it. Um they had they were running demo games of it at Gen Con last month, or well, beginning of August. Um and it will be in retail uh the date they've told me is I think September twenty seventh is the street date. So it'll be in your local game store real soon. Good news there. Um, It had a very long and interesting development process as well. Not quite as lengthy as, um, as Alliance box one, but uh, again, with the ongoing Paramount CBS, I forget which production company worked on discovery, but there was an entirely different process. It had its own style guide and rules for how things can look and, its own asset library and you couldn't uh, interesting, interesting licensing rules. Like, you know, despite being a Star Trek property, you were not allowed to mention planets that don't, that aren't mentioned in discovery. Um, So like, yeah, it's a Star Trek game set in the alpha quadrant, but you can only mention planets that are referred to by name in an episode of Star Trek discovery, like that sort of stuff. So it was an interesting different sandbox. Like, yes, it was Star Trek, but it was an interesting, sort of sub sandbox with its own little rules to work within to make the game. Uh, I'm trying to remember when we kicked off development for it. I might have to actually dig, dig deep in the notes and figure that out Um, because we had worked on it for quite some time and a lot of it actually got finished up during the pandemic as well. We built a digital prototype of it in a software called Vassal, which is a Java based program for, basically running virtual board games. And we did a lot, a lot, a lot of playtesting digitally over the pandemic, a lot of four player games.
1: Is it a so, miniatures game like attack wing?
2: No, it is a straight up board game. So it's, it's a very different feel. The, uh, I'll give you the premise here because it is a Star Trek discovery game and it is set specifically during the later arc of season one. Cause that was what was out at the time. We hadn't even seen this in two yet. Um, but it's the it's the story arc in season one where Discovery gets pulled into the Mirror Universe. And we discover that um, Jason Isaac's character, what is his name? Lorca. 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 Yeah, we discover that Lorca um, is the actual, the Mirror Universe version of Lorca and not the Prime Universe. Um, and he's got this kind of nefarious plot going on. Uh, but it's entirely set during the mirror universe arc of that discovery first season. And we took that concept and said, you know, nobody has made a team versus team Star Trek game. And this is kind of the perfect opportunity to do it because it's a big expansive multi-episode plot that comes from the TV show where we get all these fun versions of both characters. So the original pitch to them was like, you know, Let's do a mirror universe game where both sides have the same crew members, but they work totally differently because they're the mirror universe versions. And then we can have this wonderfully asymmetrical game where like maybe they have the same goal. Maybe they don't. And then they'll kind of play off of each other in cool ways. Oh, wouldn't it be great if there was a whole part in the game that was like going aboard the other ship? And sabotaging it because they were being able to pass as your other version of your other universe self. Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: so
2: So that that was like the original pitch that we gave WizKids and they were like, Well, A, that sounds awesome, but B, nope never mind Star Trek, there aren't really a lot of good team versus team board games out there. So, yeah, absolutely we want that. And the original genesis was that it was going to be two versions of Discovery. And then when we went back and rewatched all the episodes as a team, we realized that "Ah, actually, you know, the the two crews probably shouldn't be identical because canonically Burnham is dead in the Mirror Universe and Prime Universe Lorca is dead and, you know, Mirror Universe Saru is a servant and not a commander. So there's a bunch of things like that where it's like, okay, well, the casts have some overlap, but not full overlap. And that actually was even better for us from a design perspective, because we could make the two teams feel very different. And a couple of characters who were on both sides, like Stamets, because we see both versions of him. Um, they really got to, to shine as like, Oh yeah, that that's the evil Stamets. Yep. So that was, you that you was pretty have, neat.
1: You, you must have captain Killy,
2: right? We do. Yes. And, and her, no. stand, her standee says Killy and not Tilly. Yes.
1: <laughs> excellent. excellent um she so the that. the
2: core the core premise is that it's a team versus team board game. You can play it one v one or two v two It's got a variant for three players, but um generally it's one or two characters on each side one you've got a hexagrid map of the universe in the middle and it's got these um kind of these like these mycelium network spore paths running through them they've got these these lines. So Discovery's main mechanic is it can move between two little circles on these spore paths on a single tile, or it can ride any spore path line off of its space into a space that has another node. And there's a whole mechanic in the game about the whole board is made of little tiles, these little hexagon tiles. And you can rotate them to make longer paths where the nodes are further apart. So Discovery can jump like one to many spaces depending on how the board is configured and how much time they've spent preparing to jump uh, using their black alert. On the flip side, uh, the other team is playing the Terrans aboard their flagship, that giant thing with the you know spinning star inside it, the The, the ISS, Charon. The Charon, yes. Um, they The other team controls the Charon, uh, which just moves hex by hex. It doesn't pay attention to the Spore network at all. Um, and it has two little Terran fleet ships because we see... In those episodes, we see uh, a lot of the other little, um, I guess they're the Shenzhou class, uh, the smaller ships. Mm-hmm. But we have a couple of them that the Terrans can command as almost like pawns to move around the board. So it's this wonderful cat and mouse game of the Discovery is relatively fragile and all alone. And the Terrans have a big, beefy flagship with a couple of these little um, you know, escorts to kind of try and corner the Discovery but they move slowly and predictably, whereas the discovery can potentially move multiple spaces at a time, depending on how the spore network has shaped up. That's the middle part of the boards. There's this wonderful cat and mouse movement game of the Terrans trying to chase down the discovery and capture it or destroy it. Either is acceptable. Mm-hmm. The other layer is the ships are actually being commanded or flown by the characters. So the top and bottom edges of the board have, um, the core, the key locations aboard each ship as little um faces like little location vignettes where you can send the individual people. So your crew members are running back and forth along these six locations. Um, for Discovery, you have the bridge, the ready room, the weapon station, engineering, the cargo bay, and the brig. And on the Charon, you have the op- uh, basically the Terran equivalents. You've got the agony booth, the cargo bay, the main reactor the throne room, (laughs) the fleet command console and the weapon station. Um, So the characters are moving back and forth between these spaces. And the twist is because it's all about infiltrating the other ship and sabotaging them mirror universe style. If the two ships on the hex grid are in the same hex, you can go to a location on the other ship, like you can beam over and then you can run on the other set of six locations. Uh And each location has two different abilities, one for the owner of the ship and one for the infiltrator. So there's a whole different set of abilities you can do with your characters if you're on the opposing ship. And the interplay between like where the characters are, where the ships are, who's on what ship, who's using which set of actions leads to some really interesting push and pull team dynamics, which I think I haven't, I have never played anything that is like this. And I've played a lot of board games. um, And I think it's, I think the game has serious legs, even without it being a Star Trek game. I think other board gamers who play lots of competitive stuff, I think have some interesting stuff to discover here. Um, And then it just happens to have a discovery theme.
1: So you can play, you can play as Killy, um, Emperor Giorgio. Is she in the game?
2: Absolutely. She's one of the recommended starting characters even because she's very powerful. Awesome. For your wow. first game, yeah, Thanks. we recommend you play Giorgio and Killy against Burnham and Stamets, I think. Why? Well,
1: and each one of the each one of the characters has uh, special abilities that that character can use if they're in a particular uh
2: room on their ship. They sure do. Absolutely. The all of the character powers are once per game, so you'll get you have to they're very strong, but you have to be very strategic about when you use them for maximum effect. Um gets to give you go there's six, six five, five playable characters on each side. You know only use two of them uh, on a team in a given game. So Prime Universe is Burnham, Stamets, Saru. I'm trying to remember who the other two are. Um Detmer, the Helmswoman. Yep. And who's our fifth one?
0: Uh, is it Killy. Stamets? Yeah.
2: Tilly. Oh, Tilly. Tilly. Yes. Tilly's if the last Tilly. one.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then on the s- Terran side, we have Giorgio, Killy, uh, Stamets, Lorca, and Landry. Good old Landry. Oh, Landry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's
0: really, uh,
2: she's really central to that plot in that episode because she's, uh, Lorca's crew, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Loyal you just,
0: Josh, you talked about how the bad guys are trying to win. They're trying to get the Discovery. What is the Discovery trying to do to win the game?
2: So the map has six special hexes around the outside, which may be objectives. Three of them are randomly chosen at the start of the game. Uh, if the Discovery can go to those objectives and complete them using their their resources and or their, their character uh, actions they will escape back to the Prime Universe. That's one way. Uh Uh They can also win by destroying the Charon. And they do that by... Well, the main way you destroy another ship is you damage their locations. Because if they get involved in a space battle uh, and you deal damage, you draw cards off of a deck which cover over the locations along the edges of the map. So like those six locations that make up a ship, if we have a shootout in space, some of the locations aboard the ship get damaged, and get sure. replaced by cards that prevent you from using their abilities until you send a repair crew to deal with them. Uh-huh. Oh, so then I like that. If you, if you damage too many locations on the enemy ship, the ship is crippled and you, you win the game that way. Uh, the Charon is a much superior um, combat vessel. It's way easier for them to damage the Discovery, but the catch is that their reactor core has a weakness. So I mentioned the the hex map earlier with the various locations and how they kind of interrelate on the spore network. Various things that happen during the game place corruption tokens, which give negative effects to discovery if it flies through part of the corrupted spore network. It can damage the ship, it can injure the crew, it can do all kinds of nasty things. But corruption is actually a double-edged sword in the game. If you ever place all of them from the supply, the game ends because the universe implodes Everyone loses.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, but if the uh, Chiron reactor ever gets sabotaged, it takes a damage for every corruption on its or an adjacent space. So if the board gets completely com- uh, polluted with corruption, Discovery actually has an, uh, an alternate win condition, which is like, hey, if you destroy the reactor aboard the Chiron, um, it can take those five damage that it would normally, you know, take to lose. It can take those almost in a single go if there's enough corruption nearby because it's, you know, mined out the Spore Network, basically.
0: Whoa. And that's pretty much wow. the iconic
2: scene from the end of that episode where the Super Discovery crashes of- the Charon and it blows up good.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm hearing is every time you describe something about this game, I'm imagining the scene that where that occurred uh, in Discovery. It's really cool.
2: So, yeah, there's, there's really, yeah, Charon has... Uh, two major win conditions. The first is uh, destroy discovery by just damaging five locations. The second is um, and we haven't even talked about the, the cards that players have. So in addition to like moving around the ship and doing the actions on the spaces um, you have, each player has a hand of cards that gives you like little bonus actions. One of the Terran ones gives you a chance at infiltrating part of the discovery, in which case you put a, a permanent effect into play that messes up with the the Federation can do. And if they succeed in putting out three infiltration cards, they win the game. So if you let the the Terrans infiltrate Discovery and they're running amok and doing, you know, doing what they need to do aboard your ship, they will have successfully infiltrated you and the ship will be compromised from within. That's the the second Terran win con. And then Discovery either has to fly away and do three missions to win or destroy the Charon by just giving it five damage. The best way is probably with the reactor. So you get this really interesting asymmetrical game of cat and mouse that has a lot of cool layers for it. Wow. that's Wow, I can't wait to,
1: to actually get my hands on that game.
0: Same here. I got a quick question about a winning condition.
2: Mm-hmm. Go for it.
0: So is there a character named Ed, and does he have a bunch of triple cards that he can just throw a bunch <laughs> onto the fan and it then... In the game
2: then. I know the Terrans would absolutely hate that. I don't even think the Tribbles make an appearance in this game. I don't think they do. That's ripe for a promo card, I tell you.
0: Yeah, totally. totally. (laughs) Maybe for an expansion or something. (laughs) Edward
1: the Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Wow. Uh, so, uh, Josh, are there any other, anything else that you're, I remember last time we had you on about Box One, you briefly mentioned the Discovery game, back, uh-huh. then, but you could, couldn't tell us much about it. Is there anything you're working on now that you can't tell us about, but that you can <laughs>
2: mention? <laughs> uh, let's see. In the category of Star Trek stuff, um, not at the immediate moment, but there are a couple of very interesting opportunities on the horizon that I can't even speak about yet. Cause uh, I don't even know quite what they are yet. Other than uh, I was expecting black alert to be the last Star Trek game I worked on. That might not be true. So we'll have to wait and see, but uh, I have certainly, and Lynn Bander has certainly put together a number of pitches for different Star Trek games. I mean, we have a binder full of these things. we, we We come up with so many concepts for games that we are always pitching to other publishers to work with. Many of them are licensed properties, and some of them are Star Trek, so there there may be a day where those get made. We'll see.
1: Now let me ask you will will there be a Star Trek game where you have to sing? Are you planning anything like that?
2: There you go. Ah, see I'm a little <laughs> bit behind on my strange new world. I know about this oh. episode. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I'm very excited. I expect at some point in the future Strange New Worlds may be a property that I get to work on. We'll we'll see. It's so certainly one of the things we fish for, so
1: a game with dancing singing Klingons would be absolutely awesome.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Well Josh, we, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to chat with us and I apologize for the technical difficulties we had last time, but Um, As you can see, everything was taken care of and we were able to get through this without any
2: incident. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for chatting with us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be here. I'll also just mention briefly, uh, there is a playgroup in the UK that got an advanced copy of Black Alert from WizKids and filmed a tutorial slash playthrough video. You can check out their YouTube channel. It's called Gaming Rules. Um, But they did a a wonderful uh, live stream game with um, myself and Dylan, our other designer, uh, in the chat, answering some rules questions and just giving them a little bit of guidance here and there. They played that last week, and you can still find it on YouTube if you want to check out a little bit more detail about the game or have it it kind of explained to you. I gave you kind of a high-level overview of all of the different uh, facets. Well, I'll definitely look forward to checking that out. Oh,
1: that lady, that lady's throwing us out. <laughs> All right, well, get thank out. you. <laughs> get, get out. <laughs> well, thank you once again, Josh, and hopefully uh, you'll have another Star Trek project and we can get you back on the podcast again.
2: Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. And have a you good one. You can walk. pick up your copy of Black Alert at the end of September. It should be in your local game store then.
0: Mine's pre-ordered. I'm pre-order. definitely I hope so. forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Josh. All right.
1: Well, thank you so much, Charles, for uh, hanging out with us and talking with Josh about Alliance and thank Black Alert. So thank you. Thank you. He's a, he's, he, Josh is a load of information. Loved, loved all the details. Lots of information, for sure. Yeah. And thank you, David, for hanging out and, and bringing the donuts. David, thank you.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks.
1: Thank you to Eric for hanging out and talking with us tonight. Thank you so much, Eric.
0: Absolutely. And thank you, Jim, for doing cool stuff like booking people like Josh, where we can talk about awesome things like Star Trek Attack Wing and Alliance and this board game, which sounds even cooler than the promos made it sound. So I'm really excited about it.
1: And and I wasn't uh, I just, just a reminder to everybody, there will be no show Thursday night because it's my wedding anniversary and the wife is making me go out somewhere with her. So there'll be no show Thursday. But I did want to say, I talked to one of the puppeteers that did Jabba the Hutt over the weekend at Fandom Fest. And I gave him one of the cards and asked him if he'd be willing to come on the podcast. And you know what he said? Absolutely. Yes.
0: Woo! Yeah. That, that sounds awesome. great. Secret yeah. in So uh,
1: we, we may be talking to Jabba the Hutt himself. One of That'd the Jabba's. Amazing. There were many Jabba's. But one of the Jabba's. So um, I got that, that in uh In the works, possibly. So, at any rate, guys, um, run out and pick up a copy of Alliance, uh, Box 1, 2, and 3. And keep your eye out for Star Trek Discovery Black Alert. You'll be able to find it in September. Head over to our Facebook page or visit us at trektalking.com. Click on the blue talkback mic and win yourself a copy, a pair of tickets to AlienCon in Portland. And you can meet Eric, Paul, and David in person. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying Star Trek fans are the best fans. Stay safe, be good to each other, and hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody.
0: Night, y'all. Live long
1: and prosper. Let's see what's out there.
0: Engage. that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary bdw report prohibited by law See terms and conditions 18 plus